Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. comes from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now when the Lord was about to take up Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Broccoli, very much. (laughs) Very good. Thank you. Well done. Love the music today. Great to see all of you sturdy people here today. And I want to say also thanks to JR. I got a text about 8 o'clock this morning, and he was already in here, and he says, I think it'll be fine. It's 47 degrees in here. It'll be going to be just fine. And sure enough, he got them all cranked up, and... And now it feels good. What is it? Do we have a temperature reading right now? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 70-ish? Hey, I like that. That's just the way God intended it. <laughs> Last sermon in this particular series called uh, Haven't You Heard? And as you have done every week, I'm going to ask you before I get started if you'll pray for me. And as usual, God, I think there are important things that you would like to be heard today. My best prayer is that you will be able to use me to do that. Move me out of the way if you need to. Use me when you'd like to. But may your voice be the one that's heard today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday of Epiphany which means that uh, beginning Wednesday, we start a new season, the season of Lent. We'll talk more about that here in a second. But what I really wanna talk to you right now about is how the platform will change. And here's the thing, I'm not sure how it will change. But I do wanna draw your attention to a couple of things. My friends, Maylou and Lee and Brian, have helped design all of this. And and just take a look at those, those windows, as you can tell, We took some cues from our our giant stained glass windows to make these things that hang in those big alcoves up front. But did you notice that the centerpiece can be removed and switched out? Like that's different from the one we had during Advent and it will be different next week. In other words, we have these incredible people who are in place to make the changes that we need from season to season to season. You know what, they're here today, it'd be okay just to, to, yes, to show your appreciation, it is great. Thank you very much. We like those kinds of changes, but religious people don't like any other changes. We, we struggle with change as a concept. That, I mean, we struggle with change as a concept, but, but it's a constant, right? I mean, everything changes. I see my friend, Coach Cowherd over here. Even the way we play basketball seems to have changed over the last 20 years or so. It's just different. 
The way that we do church now is dramatically different than what it was in 1990 when I started at the age of six. <laughs> I mean, we have a, a lot of things going now that we didn't have going then, and we don't have a lot of things going now that we did have going then. And I suspect it may be different in five years. I don't know how. I don't know how. I, things may be different in five months in uh, a year from now, five years from now. I, I don't know. But I, I do know, I do know that it will be uh, my instinct and perhaps your instinct too to resist some of those changes because we are we. And religious folks don't always do great with change. We just don't. You know who else doesn't do very well with change? It's uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh hates change. Pharaoh hates change. And, and here's why, because Pharaoh, the system was working for Pharaoh. I mean, the system of enslaving the Hebrew folks so that he could continue to build more stuff like this, that, that system was working. And so if there were going to be, if there were going to be any changes at all, it would be changes that would only help Pharaoh to maintain the status quo that seemed to be working for Pharaoh. Not the only time that a Pharaoh type, let's say, a Pharaoh type would say, yeah, I, I kind of like things the way they are and we will resist perhaps even violently when things change. After the Egyptians, there were the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans in the time of Christ. I, I think there may still be some Pharaoh types out there who kind of like the status quo, would like to strengthen the status quo, because for these types, for the Pharaoh types out there, it's working for them. Why would we change it? Why don't we just solidify it? Here's the problem. God is the instigator of change. God seems to really like newness. Behold, I am making all things the same as they've always been. <laughs> Do you know that you serve a God who instigates change? And change is always instigated in the direction of more life, more hope, more future. Pharaoh, Change will always, always take the form of more life, more hope, more future. And that's why God had to wrestle you to the ground. That's why God will wrestle today's Pharaohs to the ground, even, even if they wear Christian clothes. God's newness, God's capacity to instigate newness is always, always, Pastor Doug, and we see it in the Micah community ministry, always, toward life and hope and future. But it's change nonetheless. And so because it's change, it, it's, it's icky. <laughs> it is something that we feel the instinct to resist at times. We might even see it as a threat. But we must tune our ears to the God who seems to love change for the better. Prophets were the people who would listen to God and then voice for the people how it is that God wanted to see something change. Moses, in this story, Moses said, hey, 
the status quo is not working for God, is not working for the people of God, there will be change. And though Pharaoh fought it with all he had, God, through Moses, got God's way. Elijah also was someone who would say to the people of God, to the leaders of the people of God, hey, this is not working for God, this is not working for the people of God, and God says things will be different or God will make things different. And it wasn't always received well. And so Elijah operated outside of the power structure of the status quo. I mean, if you're taking notes, that's what I'd like for you to write down. Prophets operate outside of the power structures of the status quo. Make some sense? The God who wants newness can't always find agents for newness within the status quo. And so God finds prophetic voices fills them, and they then embody God's passion for newness. Are we listening to the right voices? I mean, we've got to listen to the right voices. Are are we listening? I mean, haven't you heard? (laughs) Haven't you heard this voice that has something to do with newness and hope and openness and future? Or do you like me, seem to flip on the TV or, or look at, the, uh, at my uh, news feed one way or another and see all these other voices that are threatening change, right? They see change as a threat. It's hard to decipher between the voices to hear just the voice of God. And that's part of the reason that we do an Ash Wednesday. Listen, I know it's Valentine's Day. We've done all we could do to move this thing off of Valentine's Day. Several strongly worded letters to people, I don't know. We just have not been able to move it. They're going to go ahead and have Ash Wednesday this Wednesday. Man, I hope you're here. I hope, I hope you're here on Wednesday. There are lots of different ways that we could talk about what we're doing on Ash Wednesday, but... Here's one of the ways that we make sense of Ash Wednesday and then Lent after Ash Wednesday. On Wednesday night, we will acknowledge that as broken people, we have this tendency to listen to the wrong voices. And when we follow the lead of the Pharaoh types out there, sin and pain and destruction are always the result. But with the help of the liturgy of the ashes. Here's what you're gonna hear. From dust you have come to dust and will return. Repent, turn, and believe the good news. We're adding a line this year and it goes something like this. And don't forget that God loves you. Because I want you to understand that God will be your companion in your rehabilitation. Now, your rehabilitation starts with your admission and your acknowledgement that I'm broke. I have that tendency to listen to the wrong voices. There are Pharaoh types all, all around out there beckoning me to what has always been. And then we have the whispering voice of God who at times is calling me to something new. You would be acknowledging on Wednesday night that sometimes Pharaoh's voice wins in your life. And the result is a wound that needs healing. The result is a life that needs rehabilitation. And during the season of Lent, not only do we acknowledge the brokenness, but then we start the process all over again of rehabilitation 
as we walk with this God, you know what? As this God walks with us toward hope and healing and resurrection life. I don't know what you're doing 6.30 Wednesday night. It's not more important than what you would do here. John, it's Valentine's. <laughs> Pretty important. Yes. My suspicion is any relationship that you are in could use a healthy dose of authentic openness. Confession. Forgiveness. Rehabilitation. That's all Wednesday. By the way, I think you're going to like that series. It's called Psalm Writing. We're going to talk a lot about songwriting. And I, I think it's going to be, I'm going to really enjoy it. But today we're still in Epiphany, the last Sunday of the season. And by the way, every season of Epiphany, the last Sunday is called Transfiguration Sunday. And of all the weird stories in the Bible, this is one of the big ones. <laughs> the Transfiguration is a very strange story. But it's about the importance of listening to the right voice. And we're going to get back to Elijah and Elisha, but I think we will better understand Elijah and Elisha if we start with this image of the transfiguration. Now, listen to this wild story. So Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and there he was transfigured before it changed. His appearance looked different. Transfigured, that's what that means. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. What a strange thing to have in the original Greek. <laughs> now, everybody that I read says here we get a preview of the resurrected body and the resurrection life of Jesus. We get a glimpse of what's coming, the next chapter, the best chapter yet, the victory of Jesus, and the huge world change that will come because of it. But you need to see what happens next. Verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah. So you had Jesus. If that wasn't strange enough, then you had Elijah and Moses just showed up. And we're talking with Jesus. This all seems pretty sci-fi, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Where do we get to resurrection? Then Simon Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, this is a good moment, right? This is a good thing. It is good for us to be here. I tell you what, we're going to capture this right here. I'm going to build little, little shelters for all of us so that we can stay here, who knows, forever. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. It says here in verse 6, he did not know what to say to Simon Peter, for they were terrified. Well, of course. Where wouldn't you be? And if he wasn't already afraid enough, verse 7, then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And in my head, there might have also been a giant hand with a finger that pointed. Yes, you have Elijah. Yes, you have Moses. But the one you ought to be listening to is the one that they were listening to, the one to whom they were pointing, Moses and Elijah, are you listening to this Jesus? Against all the other voices out there, are you listening to this Jesus? Because this is the one, you may not know this, but this is the one that you've been waiting for. This is the one that you've been aching for. This is the one that you've been praying for, talking about, singing about. This is the new day that you've been waiting for, and it's not Elijah, it's not a Moses, it's the one that they have been pointing to all the way along. It's this Jesus character, listen to him. And the reason that God had to do this is because apparently the problem, there was a problem in the religious circles around Jesus with newness. Turns out people, 
Religious people have always had some trouble with letting God say a new thing. I'm going to say it one more time. It turns out, then as now, perhaps religious folks had trouble listening for the new thing that God wanted to do. Let me say this now, and I'll say it several times like a, like a refrain in a song. Is it possible that God wants to do something new with us? Is it possible that God wants to do something new with you who is a part of us, each of us? Is it possible that God wants to do something new and will we resist it when we are given opportunity? You see, because newness is what God does. God's consistent commitment to life and hope actually necessitates newness and evolution and revolution. This isn't the only time that we'll see it. Now let's get back to Elijah and Elisha. This same God is making changes and opening the possibility of newness. So you have Elijah. This is that same Elijah that we see in the image of the transfiguration. That Elijah used to walk the ground and do incredible things, telling the status quo, no, God wants to do a new thing. But now it seems that Elijah's time was drawing to a close. This is what Berkeley read for us earlier. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, talk about giving away the end of the story, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Elisha knows something is up. Elisha loves Elijah with a stubborn love, and he will not be pushed aside. And I suspect Elijah was doing that for Elisha's good. Like, this is going to be painful for you to see. I know you love me. This is going to be painful for you, but Elisha a couple times here says, no, I am not staying back here. Prophets would come out. They came out from Bethel and say, hey, Elisha, we kind of know what's happening here. Do you realize what's happening here? And Elisha says, will you be quiet? Let's see what is happening here. They go on to Jericho. The prophets there in Jericho come out and they say, hey, Elisha, we kind of got a sense what's going on here. Do you know what's going to happen here? And Elisha says, enough, be quiet. Let's see what God is going to do. At every stop, Elijah would say, hey, Elisha, why don't, why don't you just stay here because something's going to happen and, and probably better if you would just stay here. And Elisha every time said the same thing, I love you, I will not leave your side. Verse 8. So they've gotten to the Jordan River, the site of some miraculous things that God has done. But now they're going to go across the river but to the other side and back into the wilderness verse 8 Elijah took his mantle like his cloak rolled it up and he struck the water and the water was parted to one side and to the other does that sound familiar until the two of them crossed on dry ground when they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha okay companion this is huge this is the point for us today Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Now, that, that may sound greedy to you, but it wasn't. 
a double share of your spirit. That request didn't mean that Elisha wanted to be twice as powerful as Elijah. This was inheritance language. Here is what Elisha was saying to Elijah. I want to be understood as your heir. <laughs> I want to be understood as your son. I, I want to be understood as the next in line. And I want to inherit your passion, your calling, your life. And I don't think I'm up to it unless you help me by giving me what you have. <laughs> Elijah says, whew, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. And if not, it will not. Now, more sci-fi stuff as they continued walking and talking. A chariot of fire and horses of fire. This is an Old Testament image that would indicate and communicate all over again, this God fights for you. That chariot, those horses, separated the two of them, Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Here's the key right here, ready? And didn't die. John. John, what are we going to do with this? Can we get in the lab and test this? I tell you what, absolutely not. There's a point being made here that you will miss if you, try to, if you try to press this into that laboratory, here's the point. God is always up to something, and that something is typically newness. God is always up to something. But God has always seen fit to use human agents to embody those messages and to voice those messages. Elijah, Elijah didn't die so that God could use Elijah in the future so that he could use Elijah when Jesus needed a credibility boost. Make sense? Do you remember when John the Baptist was roaming around and people didn't yet know who he was, but he sure seemed a lot like Elijah. Elijah doesn't die because the people of God need to know that the mission of God never dies. <laughs> never ever dies. Walter Brueggemann says it like this, Elijah taken up into heaven is held sort of in reserve in abeyance by God for future deployment into the world. This means that wherever Elijah may yet emerge, history is open to new possibility. He did not die but has kept his awesome generative power for future enactment. Goes on to say this remarkable claim shows up variously in the ongoing tradition and in the Old Testament, in the very last verses of the very last book of the Old Testament, those verses anticipate the return of Elijah. Here's what it is. God says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike the land with a curse. And he doesn't. He blesses the land with this Jesus character. I know, back to Elisha's request. Grant me a double portion of your spirit. See me as your son. See me as your firstborn son that gets this inheritance piece. And in fact, he does get Elijah's mantle. And the mantle proves that this credibility, this, this resource is now Elijah, is, is Elisha's. And Jesus seems to expect us 
to carry on that same mission. Now, we don't have any trouble saying, hey, look, Jesus has that same spirit. A lot of the miracles you see Jesus doing in the Gospels are patterned after the miracles that you see Elijah doing and then Elisha doing. The feeding, the raising people from the dead. It's very intentional that you would see that this Jesus has this double portion, this double portion, this mantle that was on Elijah and it was on Elisha now rests on Jesus. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He says, hey guys, I got a mantle I want to hand on to you. OKC first. 4400 Northwest Expressway, the year of our Lord, 2024. When the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Like right now, you are offered what Elisha asked for from Elijah. Right now, you and I have opportunity to access the same kind of calling, resource, passion that animated Elijah and then Elisha and Jesus himself. Do you believe it? I mean, isn't it hard to read words like John 14, 12, when Jesus says, someday you will do greater things than I am doing? Do we believe it? Do we believe all of Scripture until we get to there? And that part, I don't know. I don't know, Jesus. I, as I read, it looks like you're doing pretty cool things. I don't, I don't know. Do not believe it when, when Jesus says in John chapter 20, receive the Spirit. And remember what he does? He breathes on them. He breathes on them. Do not believe it every time we, the people of God, are characterized by the authors of the New Testament as being heirs heirs, as being the recipients of this particular inheritance. Of, of what is it? Cash? It's not cash. <laughs> it's a double portion. It's the stuff reserved for the next in line. Friends, people leave faith because they're bored with it. People leave faith at times because it aspires to something too small. Sometimes people leave faith because they are not involved with the body of believers who believe themselves to be next up. The recipients of the mantle, the recipients of the double portion meant to take our places in the ongoing mission of the people of God. I mean, do we not even believe Paul? I mean, just... Just listen to this, Romans chapter 8. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now listen to these words from Paul and know that they are said about you and me. Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 8 in the book of Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. That is not a heaven after you die statement. That is a 
Northwest Expressway statement, or wherever it is that you work. Let Middendorf Revised Standard Version, dead ahead. You ready? Here it comes. Man your context, whatever that context might be, desperately needs for you to figure out that you are next in line and that double portion is available to you. Man, creation aches. Here, you get, the, you get this word picture. Creation is on its tippy toes in anticipation that you would finally figure out who you are as the son and daughter of God, who we are as OKC first, the people of God. Creation aches for us to take the mantle that is rightfully ours as the heirs of whatever new thing that God wants to do next. And we have families in our church who are hearing this call and are daring to do something really new. Y'all, that's a pretty family right there. Oof. And we are going to lose them to the mission field. <laughs> this man right there running that camera, there's a sense in which you all have raised this family and Hannah there in the back. There's a sense in which you all have raised this family to believe that God is capable of calling people to do new things. And here's what you're gonna hear in two weeks because I'm gonna, I'm gonna have them up here with me and we're gonna talk about this in two weeks. Here's, here's what you're gonna hear them say, something along the lines of, you all helped us listen and when we listened, God said go. God likes doing new things. Now, it doesn't have to be you moving to Spain. I really would like for all of you not to move to Spain, okay? But God might have you do smaller but new things, like forgive, like serve. By the way, Serving for Matthew and Hannah begets serving on an international scale. So when they leave, you really need to step up and do what they've been doing. Maybe that's the new thing that God has for you to do. I don't think I can run a camera. Not really necessary. We'll teach you. I don't think I can do hospitality. Can you smile? You can do hospitality. And your serving, and they're serving alongside you, prepare them for the new thing that God is going to do with Matthew, Hannah, and Allah, and Mataniah. Y'all, God wants to do new things with us. God wants to do new things I would submit with each of us, but also with all of us, will we allow God to do new things with us? The answer for some is no. No, I can't handle any more newness. I especially can't handle newness at church. Point me in the direction of sameness. Man, 
I bet you'll hear in a couple weeks from this crowd that they're as happy and as excited as they've ever been because they've said a deeper and a deeper and a deeper yes to the calling of God to newness. Now what if you're not being asked to relocate? What if you're being asked just to go deeper? To allow God to do something new inside of you that God has not done yet. Boy, I tell you, it's a great time to start on Ash Wednesday. Might God want to do something new in you as well as through you, in us as well as through us? Last time I'll say it, is it possible that God wants to do something new in and through you, in and through us? Well, whatever it is, we're going to need some energy, some nourishment to get us to that place. So if you're helping us to set this table, please go ahead and come on. And Heavenly Father, would you bless these elements, bread and cup, and with them, God, strengthen us to stare down the status quo. Strengthen us, God. Give us the resolve to at least identify the Pharaoh-type voices in our lives Give us, God, the capacity to hear, to listen deeply so that we can hear you as you call us to newness of life, resurrection life. If you are visiting with us today here in just a moment, I will ask the congregation to stand to their feet and exit their pews to the left. Now, you do not have to participate. You are invited to participate, but you do not have to participate. You may ask yourself, well, do I qualify? Am I allowed to participate? If you recognize your need for grace, then yes, you qualify. When we would love for you to participate. But you don't have to. You can sit it out if you would like. But once you exit your pew to the left, then I want you to come forward and walk forward and approach somebody holding a plate of bread. As you get close enough, that person will take a piece of bread and press it into your open hands. Don't try to grab it. It's coming to you as grace. It'll be placed in your hands as a gift. And when that happens, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Friends, that is resource towards something new. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And when you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And that will be resource toward newness of life. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. And this would be a great prayer to pray today. God, even me, might I also be one of your heirs? Might I also have access to this inheritance that allows for a newness of life, not just in me, but perhaps around me and through me because of me? You'll recognize, too, that there are bowls of water, one here and one here, and we continue to, to work on having more bowls throughout. And here's why we have these bowls of water out, because we think it's a good thing for you every once in a while to remember that you are amongst the baptized, that you are baptized. If you need to, and I do each and every week, come down and dip your fingers into this water and be reminded of the moment that you were included in the people of God who bear the calling of God but who have access to the resources of God. Lots happens in the baptistry. <laughs> but all of that happens in that moment 
of your baptism, if you need to be reminded who you really are, then perhaps you, like me, can be reminded as you dip your fingers into this water. You don't have to do that either, but you're all invited. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way later he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink of it, remember me. Now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to your left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish you and me, all of us, toward newness of life.